Our passage of Scripture this morning is going to be in Genesis chapter 30. Todd will be preaching the entirety of the passage, but I will be starting our reading in verse 25. Genesis 30, 25. The Word of the Lord says this, As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall, give me, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good to be uh, back, and as we continue to gather, and I was telling someone this morning, we will continue to trust the Lord, and we'll take all the precautions that we can to gather, uh, but at the end of it all, we have to trust the Lord that the Lord's going to keep us safe. We can do our part, but we're dependent on Him for doing His part. So let's continue to pray, and that God would pour out His wisdom on us, how do we navigate through these times that we've never done before. Even this morning, as the children uh, start back, let's pray for them. And just continue to ask God that He'd pour out His blessing on us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump into Genesis chapter 30, verse 25. But God, we are grateful that You are sovereign and in control of all things. And though, God, we may be fearful, we may worry and have concern, and maybe even doubt, God, I pray through Your Holy Spirit that He would, even in this moment, bring us peace. That we would trust You wholly, seek You with all of our hearts and minds, and ask for Your great protection. I pray for our children as they gather back this morning, just a few hundred feet from us. I pray that You would open their minds and their hearts to Your Holy Word. I'm grateful for Jerry and her team down there that will provide food, not physical food, but spiritual food for our kids. God, we pray for salvations for them. We pray that they would be brought up in the ways of the Lord and we would hold you to your promise that if we bring them up in the ways of the Lord, they will not depart from it. So I ask that this morning. I pray that we would see great things come out of our children's ministry. I do plead with you now this morning that you pour out your grace and mercy on me as I preach and teach and you would allow me to recall all that I've studied that it would be an encouragement to myself and to your people. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. I ought to get this out of the way to begin with. I was uh, studying this morning and was uh, kind of bringing all of my notes together. I, I take different ways of notes. And um, there were some critical pieces that got lost. And so I'm looking at my notes. And I'm like, man, there's a lot of holes. Uh, so be gracious to me. Um, if it's terrible... I'm just going to hold God's word. It never comes back void. So 
uh, will be dependent on Him rather than, than me. I do want to jump into t- this morning's passage as we continue to walk through Genesis. Uh, I pray, and I was grateful to uh, many of you, and Miss Rita said it this morning, that she's gotten great delight and encouragement out of this study. I pray that's been true for you. It's definitely been true for me. As a preacher and a pastor, when you come to books of the Bible, there are certain books that are daunting and overwhelming. This is one of them. Uh, one of the reasons it's daunting and overwhelming is because it's so long and so massive, and there's so much truth that's in it. And so I pray that I've been doing my part in bringing you and presenting God's Word to you in a way that's palatable, not out of flavor, but out of substance, that, that, that God would be using His words to transform you as He's been transforming me. And so we'll continue on uh, here in Genesis. We'll get through uh, my, my hope. Uh, we have about 20 weeks or so um, left, and it just gets better, really, if you read the book of Genesis. The book gets better and better and better. I do want to label and talk about these three things that we're going to look at, but first I want to recap where we're at in the life of Jacob. Remember, we've studied Abraham, we've studied Isaac, and now we're on to the, the third main patriarch of the Jewish faith, of our faith, the Christian faith. We're looking at the life of Jacob. If you remember, in chapter 25, Jacob uh, was told that he would be the son of blessing. Before he was ever born, God had said to him, Jacob and Esau, Esau's the older brother, but I'm going to bring the seed, the promised seed, the, the Messiah through the younger brother. And that was a promise that God had given to uh, the, his parents, uh, Rebecca and Isaac. And they knew the promise. They knew that Jacob was the promised child. And so they had had to have that conversation with him along the way. But if you're anything like me, there's doubt that creeps in. We often doubt the promises of God, do we not? And, and so here is Rachel and or Rebecca and Isaac. They're doubting the promises of God for sure. Rebecca doubts the promises of God. And so her and Jacob come up with this master plan to get the birthright from the older brother. And he deceives the father. He deceives the older brother. Uh, one day when he's uh, the older brother's hungry, he says, hey, I'll make the food if you kind of give it all to me. So he deceives them. And then in 27, we see that Jacob again deceives the, blo- the brother for the blessing, not just the birthright, but now the blessing. And Jacob begins to be on the run for his life. Esau is so angry at him, he said, I'd be satisfied when I kill him. And so Jacob is on the run. And then uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 28. Remember, he's on the run. And he's on his way to Laban, his uncle's house, because that's where his mother told him to go, to go there and find peace there till your brother chills out. And when you find peace, then you're going to come back. But on his journey there, he stops because it's a four to 500 mile trek. He stops and has this dream. And in the dream, as you remember, he sees the heavens. He sees angels ascending and descending on the ladder. We talked about the ladder being Christ. Ultimately, Christ is our ladder that bridges the gap for us. But in that dream, God again reminds Jacob of the promise. The promise that he made to Abraham. The promise that he made to his father. Now the promise that he's making again to him. The the promise that he would be a father of many nations. And that in that being a father of many nations, that the promised seed would come through him. And So then in chapter 29, we looked at this last week and the week before. 
In chapter 29, Jacob finally arrives at the city where Laban, his uncle, is. And if you remember, he goes to the same well probably that uh, Abraham, his uh, grandfather, had sent the servant. And that, that well is where he finds the, the servant found his grandmother. He's going to find his wife there. He sees his wife, Rachel, there and becomes awestruck at her beauty and says, I, I basically got to have her. I'll do whatever it takes. And he goes to Laban, his uncle, and says, hey, she's the one for me. I've got to be with her. What will it cost me to be with her? Remember, the cost was seven years of work. So he's working tirelessly. It says in God's Word that those days seem to be a very few to him. And then at the end of the seven days, he gets deceived by his uncle. And the next morning he wakes up and rolls over and Leah, the older sister, is laying next to him. And he's livid, as you could imagine. So he goes to Laban and says, hey, you tricked me, you great deceiver, but I still want to be with Rachel, what do I need to do? And he says, I'll work another seven years for you. And at the end of the seven years, he marries the love of his life. But he, it says that his love, compared to his love for Leah, was as of hatred. She, he couldn't really be around Leah. And so what does God do? God protects Leah and opens her womb, and she has children. And, and we looked last week at those children. That's where really the, the promised child came from. And if we look at the landscape of the Jewish history, these women and the concubines, these four ladies are what birthed the twelve tribes of Israel. God is always sovereign and in control. That's what we've been looking at. The two primary things that we've been studying and we'll study for the rest of Genesis are these two things. That God has a purpose and a plan to be with His people. That that's what He created in the garden. When He created Adam and Eve, his whole desire would be that he'd be in relationship with them. That, that's what he longed for more than anything. More than the trees, more than the birds, more than the animals. He wanted to be with his people. He wanted to be in constant relationship with them. And as you know, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. And in sinning against God, there was a broken relationship. But we see the heart of God even in the broken relationship. Yes, that there would be moments of judgment. But even in the moments of judgment, it wasn't for judgment's sake alone. Is it that that judgment would bring God's people back into relationship with Him. And He tells us in Genesis 3 that even though we've sinned against God, He's making a promise that He'll send a promised child that will redeem us, that will bring us back to God the Father. We know that to be Jesus Christ. But He says then, you'll see that in the rest of the story of the Bible, that this one promised seed that was given to us in Genesis will be fulfilled in the life of Christ. So that's the first thing that we see throughout the Bible. The second thing we see is God's sovereignty in all that. That nothing will thwart God's plan. No man, no woman can ever thwart the plan of God. If God said it, it's going to happen. And God uses mysterious ways and mysterious people to make sure His plan are always accomplished. We've seen that in this text. God even uses sin, rebellion against Him to make sure His plan is accomplished. That ought to give us great hope this morning. That nothing, nothing we can do can thwart the plans of God. Amen? I'm so grateful for that. And we'll see that again this morning. That God had a plan for Jacob. Remember what that plan was. That He would be a father of many nations. And he would give him a land, the promised land. Well, Jacob was nowhere near the promised land. 
Remember, he had wandered 500 miles away from the promised land. And now we're going to see how God said to Jacob, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to give you a great land. And out of you being a great nation in a great land, my Savior will come. And now we see again how God's sovereign hand is in that. He uses a very odd way of doing that. Is that not true in our lives? I'm so thankful what the prophet Isaiah said, that God's ways are not our ways. And our thoughts are not His thoughts. His thoughts and ways are higher than ours. And God uses this story to reveal that again to us. I've labeled this message, Greener Pastures. That God is going to pour out His prosperity on to Jacob. Now here's where prosperity gets hijacked in the church. I do not mean prosperity in the sense of the Gospel. You come to Jesus and everything's going to come into fruition. Everything that you desire, everything that you want will happen. That, that is far from the truth. We know that throughout Scripture. But God will use His prosperity to bring about His purposes. And we see that in the life of Jacob. Jacob's work. Three things that I want to look at this morning are this. God blesses us so that we will be a blessing to other people. The prosperity that God pours out onto us is not simply for us and us alone. It is that we would be a blessing to other people. It's what He told the promise that Jacob made to God. Remember that Jacob had just heard the promises of God and then Jacob says to God, hey, if you do that for me, I will give you a tenth of all that I have. I will give it to you. I'll give it away. I will be a blessing to other people. My question for me this week as I've been studying, my question for us as a church, do we use the blessings of God to bless other people? First individually, and then as a church. It's crazy how God is still blessing us as a church. From what I heard from Jonathan last week, we have not missed a beat in our finances through this whole pandemic. Most churches are struggling. Most churches had to take out that government loan just to make sure things would continue. That never even entered our mind because we had the blessing of God on our life. But that blessing for us, church, is not to take that blessing and stow it away. It is to take that blessing from God and become a blessing to other people all over the world. And so I would ask and say to you, do we look at this story and see how God uniquely blessed Jacob? It says this in the text. Here's how we know that God has called us through this story of Jacob to be a blessing of other people. It says this in the very first two verses. Remember that Leah and Rachel and the concubines had children. In verse 25, it says as soon as Rachel had bore Joseph, that's the, the, that's the, the child that gets most of the attention for the rest of Genesis. But that's not the promised child. He gets the rest of the attention because he in so many ways is, like, is going to be a Christ-like figure to deliver God's people through Moses from slavery. We'll see that in a few weeks. But it says, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to lame and send me away that I may go to my own home in my own country. Skip down a little bit further in verse 30. He says, for you have, a little you have come a little bit before and 
and an increase of abundance has been given to me by God, he says. He says, and the Lord has blessed me and has blessed you wherever I have turned. Wherever Jacob went is what Jacob is saying. Because of God's blessing on my life, He is blessing you abundantly. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say the blessing of God on my life is blessing you. He says, I don't only want to bless you, but what does he say? He says, wherever I've turned, you've been blessed. But now I shall provide for my own household also. Now, when we think household, we think mom, dad, children. Remember what he just said. I want to go home to my homeland, back to the promised land, and bless everyone there the same way that his father Abraham. Remember, Abraham was a blessing to everyone around him. He had great wealth, but Abraham never stowed his wealth for himself. He blessed everyone around him. Remember how much he had blessed the wicked uh, wicked nephew Lot. He had given almost half of his goods away to Lot. And so what Jacob is saying, as all that God has blessed me with, I want to bless other people with. I wonder for us, church, when we think and we ask God for His blessing, is our first thought for us or is our first thought for other people? Like when, when we are thinking and pondering and wishing a raise, is that raise for us or is that raise so that we can be a blessing? I was talking to a gentleman this week about this very thing. He said, oftentimes in my prayer life, I want to trick God. I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. He says, oftentimes I go to God and say, God, if you bless me, I will bless other people. But what he's really saying, if I can just pray this right prayer and get this right thing, then God will bless me. And then maybe if I say the right thing, He'll bless me because I really want to bless other people. But what he was revealing, he said this, I really just want the blessing for myself. So I think if I tell God I'll bless other people, He'll give me more money. But it wasn't about other people at all. How many of us are guilty of that? Praying to think, hey, if I just pray the right thing, say the right thing, God will give me what I desire. No, it's got to be in our hearts first. Do we desire to bless other people? We see that. That God blesses us so that we will be a blessing to other people. The next thing that we see in this text is that in order to receive a blessing, we must work hard. But God doesn't want lazy people. It wasn't that Jacob was sitting on his couch in his tent, not working at all, just receiving this blessing. No, it was what that, that Jacob got up every morning and worked hard. He, he says it in the passage. He says, give me my wives, and my, this is verse 26, give me my wives and children whom I have served you that I may go now and serve that what I have given you. He's saying, I have worked really, really hard. We see later on in the passage that Laban even takes notice of how hard he was working. He took notice that Jacob was not a lazy man. He was a hard worker. But here's what we know about Jacob. Yes, I believe Jacob was working for his wife, Rachel, but I believe he was working because of the promise that he made to God. And basically said to God in verse chapter 28, I will work hard and give all that I have, a tenth of all that I have, back to you. I will work as hard as possible. I know for me this is convicting because I want to work. You know, most people say work smarter, not harder. 
God's Word says work harder, not smarter. Work hard. We know that through what Paul says. If you'll turn with me there just for a moment to Colossians chapter 3. Paul is saying this to us, the church. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Paul says, whatever you do, whatever job you have, whatever work you have, how does he say to work? Work heartedly as for the Lord and not for man. It doesn't say in that passage, whatever you do, work Smarter for the Lord. It says work hard, work heartily, give all that you have. So everything that we do, all the places that God allows us to go to work, let us work as we're working for the Lord. So if your employee rips you off, work hard. Not for him, but for God. Be such a witness in your work ethic at work that they see you're not working for a paycheck. You're working for God. And on and on we could talk. It's so convicting because there's so many moments for me that I'm getting up and I'm thinking, man, what's the easiest way to work today? Like, What's the way I can get through the day? It'll be easy and it'll appear that I've worked hard. That's so convicting for me. And God's Word this week has said, Todd, get up and work as hard for me as you would any day of the week. Are we working hard for the Lord? The last one takes the bulk of the rest of the passage. The rest of the passage is this very odd place that, that there's this conversation between Laban and Jacob. And Jacob is saying, hey, release me of my duties. Release me of my service. And, and Jacob has this master plan of doing that. The master plan, in short, is this. He's going to say to, to Laban, hey, there's some sheep that you have, and so this is how you'll pay me for all the service I've done. I, I want all these, these um, sheep and goat. You take these sheep and goat. And so what happens is, basically, there's the spotted animals and the unblemished animals, if you will. And so when Laban hears of it, he hears this sense of, man, this is a, I, I, this is a shoe-in for me. Like, this is a no-brainer. He's coming to me and he's saying he, he was what we would think are the, the blemished animals. He wants those animals. He, he wants the ones that are, are spotted. He doesn't want the, the pure ones. And so Laban's like, this is a gold mine for me. I'll take the deal. And then there's this an agreement that's made and then Laban takes his animals and moves as far as a three-day journey away from Jacob so that there'd be no mixed breeding in the mix, that there'd be no, no way that these animals would be unblemished or, or perfect. That there'd be no way. There's no way of intervention. So the rest of the passage, we see that Jacob separates them. Jacob cares for them. Jacob takes care of them. And then there's this moment that he takes these sticks of almonds and sticks of popular and puts them in right before where they're mating. And it sounds really odd. And there's so much debate on the commentary of what that means. 
But we do know what this means, that as odd as it sounds, we know where it came from. It was not Jacob's idea to put a stick in front of the animals while they were mating. We see that in Genesis 31. We'll look at this more next week. Genesis 31, verse 10. It says, In the breeding seating of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream the goats that mated with the flocks were striped and spotted and molted. And then the angel of the Lord said to me in the dream, he had a dream of what to do. So though it seems odd, we know this, that Jacob trusted the Lord. Jacob trusted the Lord in his work. He didn't just trust his work alone. He trusted his work. He trusted the Lord in his work. And I wonder for us, church, are we hearing from the Lord and are we trusting the Lord in our work? Are we trusting our work that our work will provide for us? You see, that's an essence of what was happening in the passage. Jacob was having to trust the Lord that the Lord would do his part and keep his promises, that he would be the one that would bless him, that he had to take his hand away from as hard as he was working, but he then had to say, I've got to trust you, God, with what comes out of my work. And I wonder for us how often we trust our work more than we trust God. And that's what keeps us anxious. That's what keeps us spinning. That's what keeps us going after the almighty dollar. That's what keeps us hoarding, if you will. That's what keeps us from just collecting and storing. Because we're trusting in our money. We're trusting in our property. We're trusting in our work more than we're trusting in God. And Jacob in this moment trusted God and he trusted the promises of God. What he had promised back in his dream. That what did God promise? That hey, wherever you go, Jacob, I will be with you. And I will see this come to fruition. So yes, Jacob, he wanted to bless other people. And yes, Jacob wanted to work hard. But he trusted the Lord. It's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, if you'll turn with me there for a moment this morning. You know this passage well. It's about being anxious. It's about not trusting. It's about us trusting work more than God. And just Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your, earth, your heavenly Father provides for them. Or feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon and all of his glory are not arrayed like one of these flowers. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is Today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, what Jesus says, seek after these things. That's the things of the world. What we eat, what we wear, where we live. Even the, the unbeliever, the Gentiles, seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. God knows we need clothes. God knows we need shelter. And God knows we need food. And therefore, He'll provide us those things. God knows what we need, and He'll give us what we need. And then He says this, one of the most famous verses of the Bible. But instead of seeking those things, instead of seeking the things that God already is going to give you, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You seek God in your work. You work hard for the Lord in your work. You seek righteousness and His kingdom. His promise is this. If you seek Him, what you think you need, He'll provide for you. He'll take care of you. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And then Jesus ends this. He says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow has it, will be anxious in itself. Sufficient for the day is of its own trouble. Are we seeking the Lord? You see, we'll seek the Lord when we really believe that He is sovereign in control of all things. Do we believe that God is the great provider? That He is providing all things when we need all things? There's a, there's a catechism I, I want to read to you from 1689. It's from well before we were established here. But it's the root of what we believe to be true about Baptists. This is what our forefathers in our Baptist faith said about God. On my prayers, this would be true for us. The title of the section is Divine Providence. And those wise, godly men almost 400 years ago said this, God the good Creator of all things, in His infinite power and wisdom upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and all things. From the greatest to the least, by His perfect, by His perfectly wise and holy providence, to the purpose for which they were created, He governs according to His infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchanging counsel of His will. His providence leads to the praise and the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. Do we believe in the providence of God? Do we believe in the sovereignty of God? Because if we believe in the sovereignty of God, then we will believe that He blesses us to bless others. That He called us to work and therefore we'll work hard. And therefore we'll work as we work unto the Lord. 
And we will not worship our work, but we'll worship the one who's called us to work and we'll trust in him. We see that here in the life of Jacob. Jacob understood what it meant that God was in sovereign and control of all things and how he provided for him because he made him a promise a few years before and said, I will always be with you and take care of you. Is that not the same promise that Christ Jesus has made to us as people? He promises to always be with us. And if he's with us, then he will always provide all that we need. No, he may not provide you what you want, but he will provide you with what you need. Let us pray. God, I am grateful for your providence. I'm grateful for your sovereignty. I pray first and foremost for me, I pray that for us as a church, that we would believe in your providence and your sovereignty. And therefore, God, when you pour out your blessings on us, we will want to be a blessing to other people. And we will want to work hard, as Paul says, unto the Lord and not for man. And God, we will continue to trust you rather than our work. That we would always worship the Creator rather than creation. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you'd rise this morning for the benediction. This comes from Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things yet to be seen. May grace and peace be multiplied to us. Amen. We'll see you next on Wednesday night here at the church. We are open or online. We're continuing our study in uh, the book, uh, Stay Salt. It's a book about evangelism. It's been great. If not, come join us on Sunday morning at 1015 next Sunday. Grace and peace be with you.